Hello and welcome to Life Changes You. My name's Daniel. I hope you've had a great week. So if you haven't caught up on the podcast from the last couple of weeks, we had Sally Ann Upton, who is an actress from the TV show Wentworth and also Neighbours. She's also a nurse and she talks in that interview about working as a nurse through COVID. I also had a chat with Sarah Edmondson from Nexium. Well, she she's ex-Nexium. She was actually the whistleblower who brought down the cult of Nexium. And that was a really interesting conversation. If you haven't listened to that one yet, I suggest you go back and have a listen to that one. And a couple of weeks ago, we had Lisa from Simply Anxious who talked about her life with anxiety and the tools she's used to actually be able to improve her life and where she is now. She's actually just written a book, which is all about her experience with dealing with anxiety. So today I have another special guest for you. Now, this lady, you might have seen her on the TV if you live in Australia because she was on The Bachelor Australia. She was also involved in a cult a few years back but she's now on a journey for a positive future. She's taken up psychology, painting, group fitness, and she's also a speech therapist. It's Ashley Freckleton. So hello, Ashley. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks so much for having me today. This is actually my very first podcast, so a little bit nervous, but really happy to be here. Look, you've been on The Bachelor. What could be harder than being on that? This is true. This is true. So do you want to tell us a little bit about, well, first of all, I'll tell people how we met. So I had done the podcast with Nexium and I'd put on a post on Instagram and you commented on something. And I think whatever you said was, you know, I'm waiting to be interviewed or we were going to catch up and have a chat or something like that. And I I quickly jumped on and sent you a message and said, hey, would you like to come on the podcast? Because your stuff sounds really interesting. And you said, yeah, of course I would. And that was only a couple of weeks ago. It was. And here we are. Here we are, all set and ready to go. Yeah, so Sarah Sarah was the, the common link there, the common denominator. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Since I've used Instagram, I, I find lots of people on there that I think are really interesting people to chat with and also lots of people find me on there. So it's been really great. You know, I'm never running out of guests. It's just trying to prioritise who I think fits in next to the one I've already done. So do you want to tell us a little bit about The Bachelor Australia? Sure, we can jump into that. Uh, It was a little while ago now. It was actually this time last year that we were filming it. It feels like like a different lifetime in some ways, kind of like with the cult. It kind of feels like it happened a lifetime ago. Yeah. Yeah, people sort of ask me sometimes, why? Why would you do that? And I thought, well, no, why not? My life's been crazy in plenty of other ways and who's to say that I wouldn't meet the love of my life on a reality TV show I mean it's happened before crazier things have happened yeah. so I thought I'd see what happened but also it was a little bit of a I, I never really expected to get on the show when I applied it was a bit of a game of chicken you know I they I didn't expect to get on and then I got to the next stage of the casting process and I thought oh let's just see how far we can take this and then next thing you know I was on the red carpet <laughs> standing there with Jimmy and I was like how did we get here this wasn't what I thought was going to happen. And also you filmed that during COVID, didn't you? Yeah, we did. So that must have been like tighter security and everything around the event to make sure you didn't go anywhere that you couldn't go. Yeah, it was it was pretty tight security as well just to keep it under wraps who the contestants were. Oh, you yeah. know, we had to be very, very stealth, the masks on, sunglasses, goods up, you know, we're all wearing big oversized black hoodies wow. if we were ever going anywhere under the umbrellas in case someone had a drone flying over but it was yeah it was everyone all of the crew all of the crew had to wear masks and we had to get covid tested every week 
but we didn't have to wear the masks. Yeah. I mean, it would have been a pretty funny bachelor if you were all standing there in masks, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what was the experience like? Because, I mean, look, I haven't watched it for years, but I remember seeing a few episodes here and there back in the day, and it seems to be quite full on and quite a fast pace. And I guess you never know how many people the either the bachelor or the bachelor are actually hooking up with. So it's almost, is it like being in something quite deceitful? Because you never know when the truth is coming? I guess in some ways, yes, but in a lot of ways, no. Because when you go into that situation, you are in a lot of ways prepared for what you're getting yourself into. You know that the odds are stacked against you. You know that there's only one bachelor and 20-odd bachelorettes. Oh, is that how many there are? Yeah, yeah. There was, I don't know how many were on our season. It might have been 25 or something like that. And everyone's keeping their cards close to their chest and it can feel really competitive in some ways, but then they're also forming nice friendships and bonds in other ways. And it is, it is bizarre. I mean, also like I had just come out of a cult that was really, really pushing polyamory. So um, it wasn't that foreign to me to kind of think about the fact that we're all dating the same guy. Yeah. Even though I was never really comfortable with polyamory in the first instance, it just wasn't for me anyway. I'm, I think I'm wired for monogamy, but that's just me. Yep. And also you, when you put yourself into that situation, it's definitely fast-paced, but they warned they warned us of that straight from the outset. They said, if you, if you don't like early mornings and long days, this probably isn't for you. And you do know going into it that you are going to be isolated from what's going on with you in the world it does become a bubble and that's part of the experience that that's the idea of how the relationships grow by being able to focus only on the bachelor and only on where you are and being present in that moment not having your phone not knowing what's going on outside in the world I mean we had no idea what was going on with COVID or anything like that when I came home I couldn't believe that everyone was out the pubs were open our masks were off it was only short-lived I mean we did lock down after that but it was like everything had changed in the time that I'd been out and we had no idea because we were, we were kind of in this self-sealed chamber of focusing exactly on, on The Bachelor and The Bachelor experience. But that's what lends itself to being such an intense experience. That's why emotions run high. That's why feelings develop. That's part of why, why it can work. Yeah, it's living in a fishbowl, isn't it? It is, yeah. And, I mean, it was, it was intense. And so I know with Big Brother that if something happens to a family member or there's something really bad that goes on in the world, they will let you know. Is it the same sort of thing with The Bachelor? Uh, I guess they would. Nothing really huge did happen other than COVID outbreaks, and we didn't know really if there were COVID outbreaks in certain areas. It must have been quite nice to actually be in that bubble where you didn't have to worry about COVID. Yeah, and I loved not having my phone. I mean, I'd, some people struggled more than others. For some people, it, you know, it's really confronting to give up that control, but I had come from this cult environment where I was used to relinquishing that control and having to, I guess, surrender And for me, it was kind of relaxing, you know. We had no phones. Our schedule, you never knew what was going to happen ahead of time. So you sort of only knew maybe the night before if you had to be somewhere. You got your schedule the day that it was happening. And for me, I was living this very moment-to-moment existence where I felt really present and you didn't have to worry about what was going to go or what was happening the next day. You only had to focus on the here and now. You didn't have your phone to check and 
I was so present and I actually really enjoyed it. But whereas other people were tearing their hair out going, oh, they're so controlling, you know, I'd hate not knowing what's going on. And it's like, yeah, I could see how that would be really confronting for others. But for me, I sort of lent into it a little bit and I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, I guess, uh, you know, uh, studying psychology and speech therapy and stuff like that, that's something that would prepare you for not having contact with, I don't know, no, maybe not. But I guess your learning techniques, I mean, I, I found since I, I did my counselling that I looked at life in a completely different way to what I did before that. You know, I used to worry about little things and now those little things don't seem to worry me anymore. I think it's because I've learned that I don't need to let them worry me. Yeah, it's yeah. you definitely have changes in perspective when you're studying various things or when you go through trauma or some sort of event that rocks you to your core or rocks your core beliefs. And I really love this concept, if you've heard of it, of post-traumatic growth. No, I haven't. It's a, yeah, it's a concept in psychology and it sort of distinguishes between resilience, which is kind of this ability to bounce back in the face of adversity, which is different to this post-traumatic growth where you are not necessarily resilient in this instance because you've been rocked to your core and it is really hard for you to bounce back from it, but ultimately you, you come out on the other side of it in a place of growth and, and, you know, there's different areas in which you can experience that growth, which I think you develop different appreciation for life. It can improve your relationships with others. You encounter new possibilities. You can encounter personal strength and spiritual change. Right. And it's a concept that I really resonated with and something I've lent into because I definitely didn't bounce back quickly from the experience of, of leaving the cult. Yeah. But I would absolutely say that I have grown from it and I'm in a much better place. And I, I see, I do, I do see life differently. I see the world differently and I still have hard days. And I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. I did seek the help of a, of a psychiatrist and I still have, I wouldn't say tough days, maybe tough weeks, certain times of the year or certain triggers, but ultimately, ultimately I've grown from the experience and I'm in a much better place for it. Yeah. I mean, I haven't been in a cult, but I've spoken to a couple of people who have been in a cult or have worked in investigating cults. And even the investigator who was on the outside working at trying to find out what was going on, he said at the end of it that he had some post-traumatic stress disorder and some of the other guys on his team, and he was quite high up policemen. People say, oh, police deal with everything. But he said, dealing with this and what was going on with the way children were treated and the physical and emotional and mental stress on these kids, you know, he said, you come out of it the other end after four or five years. And obviously it's, it's still got to be part of you. And to this day, and I think it's 20 years ago since he cracked the case and got it finished, he still said there are days when I just feel like, wow, you know, how did those kids survive? How did they go through that? They're so glad that they got them out the other end. So I don't think it's anything that you're ever going to 100% get rid of you in your life and go, oh, I'm over that now. I can move on because there will always yeah. be things that either trigger you, I guess, music, seeing things in TV shows and you go, oh, actually, that's sort of what happened to me. And it doesn't have to yeah. be something that you see that is exactly how you experienced it. I mean, definitely. bravo to you to come out the other side and be positive, do psychology and all that. And that's amazing that you can come through. I mean, well done. Thank you. I mean, it's as in some ways, I, I kind of think it's a it's a little bit selfish of me because I, for me, it's so healing to, and it gives me purpose and it gives me meaning to think that I'm so committed now and there's this passion inside of me to want to help others. And my mantra 
for my cult awareness page, I run the Instagram page, cult awareness, is prevent harm and help heal. And that's what guides me. That's what is driving me towards and through, you know, studying psychology can get hard some days, but it's this idea that I want to prevent harm to anybody that I can. If I can stop someone from going through what I experienced, then that's really healing and empowering for me. And if I can help someone heal from the experience or from a similar experience or help even to pull people out of the experience, yeah. there have definitely been people who have managed to, to leave the school or leave the cult because of encounters that they've had with me. And that for me is so empowering and I guess self-validating. So it's kind of selfish because I'm helping myself by wanting to help others. But you're helping yourself to heal, aren't you? I've been a great believer in when I was 19, a favourite uncle of mine died of cancer and he lives in England, I'm in Australia. I was over there on holiday. I saw him when he was really ill with cancer. Then uh, probably 10, 15 years later, my sister had breast cancer and she was dying and I looked after her. And I sort of felt like seeing him in that way and being with him prepared me for helping with my sister. And then five years later after that, a friend of mine, his mum had cancer and I was able to go and talk to her about, you know, you don't have to be pushing yourself for these other people. You know you've got limited time. So it's up to you. You can just think of yourself and not them because this is what's happening to you. So I think things prepare you for other things. And from what you're doing, it's actually helping you heal for one. It's helping someone else get through what they've gone through. So it's a win-win on both sides. It's not like you're selfish. It's like you know what you've been through. So you know how to help them. So that's amazing. Yeah. It lends itself to empathy, doesn't it? If you 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 can it's one thing to say, oh, I, I understand what you're going through and I'm sorry that that happened to you. But it's another thing to say, I really understand what you're going through because it happened to me as well. I've said to a couple of people who have come on the podcast who have said to me, oh, well, you know, I'm not a specialist in anxiety or I'm not a specialist in depression. And I said, look, there's two ways to look at it. A psychologist, psychiatrist, counsellor can learn everything there is to know about anxiety, depression. If they don't have lived experience, they can only tell you what they can tell you from what they've learned in their textbooks. Whereas if you've got lived experience, you're someone who can be compassionate, empathetic, because you know where they are. You felt it. You've lived it. And I said, so there's space for both sides. But don't ever say that you're not a specialist because you are, because you've lived it for 10 years, 20 years. So that's something that you bring that all these people who have trained in it, yes, they know it all, but they can empathise. I guess it's sympathise, isn't it? Because you've been in that position, so you know how that person's feeling. Yeah, and we all come to a new experience with the whole history and narrative of our lives and our past experiences, so it all builds on top of one thing on top of the other. And to a degree, I had to get to a certain place before I could even be fueled by that passion to to want to help others because that old saying that you can't pour from an empty cup. So you have to support yourself and support your own well-being and get yourself into a good place. And then I think it also too, when I was, you would probably be familiar with this when you studied counselling, the different theories of counselling. And I think it's Adlerian um, Alfred Adler's yep. premise that you, once you are in a good place, a sign of you being in a good place is wanting to live in service of others yep. or wanting to help others. Yep. So I guess it's a, it's a positive indicator, isn't it? If we, if we really feel and get our meaning and, and purpose from, from genuinely wanting to help others. Definitely. And, and as I said, your experience is something that you can almost be parallel to that other person who's coming out of it. It might be a completely different cult, 
But when they're coming out of it and they're looking for answers of why these things happened, you know, I mean, obviously you can't say, well, it happened because of A, B, C, D, but you can go, look, I'm in exactly the same position. I was there. I know what you went through, you know, and that's a major thing for someone to be able to connect with you and know that you've been in the same way. And the other interesting thing too is that with cults, it doesn't matter if it's a different cult because it's it's about the dynamics and the mechanisms at play, which for the most part are the same across any cultic organisation and even in, in abusive relationships. Yeah. The difference, you know, between the cult and the abusive relationship is that it's a dynamic between a group and a person versus, you know, the dyad, the yeah. two-person relationship. But emotional abuse and psychological abuse can happen in in relationships as well and domestic violence and abuse. So there's parallels there. Even though I haven't been personally in an abusive relationship, there are elements, you know, especially with this element where it can be difficult for people to understand, well, why didn't they just leave? There's so many things at play there. For one thing, disorganized attachment that's the glue that hold people in place, even when it looks like you could leave. And from the outside, you ask yourself, why didn't they leave? And there's a lot of things that stop someone from leaving that situation that also happen in cults. So even if it's a completely different cult or completely different organisation, you can still empathise. And I especially felt that when I watched, I don't know if you've seen Seduced with India Oxenberg. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and she was also in Nexium. And I had to constantly hit pause while I, you know, just let me hit pause while I digest that because I experienced that. That happened to me. That's how I felt. That's how it happened with me as well. And all of these processes and mechanisms that happened with her, which just paralleled my own experiences. And I was so enthralled and moved by that documentary because I could see the mechanisms were the same. I spoke to someone about child predators. They were in America. Uh, They run this thing that helps detect pedophiles and people who are looking at child abuse videos and stuff online. And what I sort of thought about cults as well is the way a predator grooms a child in some ways similar to a cult because you don't actually know it's happening, but it's happening. And they can play the long game. You could have been in the cult for five years and not even realise, and then all of a sudden you're like thinking, well, what the hell happened? Why am I doing this? Why am I here? What's going on? Because they know how to get in your brain slowly and change the way you're thinking without you actually knowing that that's happening. Exactly. And I actually put a post on my cult awareness page of adult sexual grooming and the models are pretty similar to the models of child grooming. It's about identifying the target, creating this connection or the bond and building the trust and identifying and feeling a need in that person and then maintaining the control, which, and I definitely missed a few pieces of the puzzle there, but the same things occur when you've got child grooming, very similar mechanisms. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's amazing because this woman I was talking to, it's always been something that I've wanted to highlight more to people because I always found the thought of using the words child and pornography together make it almost socially acceptable because adults watch pornography, child pornography. Oh, what's that? It's just pornography. So I did a, a campaign on um, get people to sign up probably 10 years ago saying, look, we need to change it from child pornography to either child rape videos or child molestation videos so that we get that feeling of pornography out of our head because pornography almost sounds, you know, it's okay. It's what, what adults can watch if they want to. Um, and I thought it's if very we- triggering language though, isn't it? I mean, even hearing those words in the same sentence just make me feel really like it's, it's very emotionally loaded language, isn't it? Which one, the molestation and rape? 
Yeah. And that's yeah. why I want it to be changed so that people, you know, if someone's looking through online and they're going, I want to look at pornography and they see child rape video, then they're going to go, oh, I don't want to watch that. But when it says pornography, it's almost an acceptable word. So I want people to realise that that's not what you're going to watch. It's going to be a child being abused and you don't want to watch it. So if we change the way we talk about it, it's, it's, yeah. it's, a, I think that's another thing that's a huge thing going on around the world that we'll probably never be able to stop, but I wish we could. There's so many horrible things going on in the world at the moment that we're powerless to stop. And, you know, it, it would be nice if we could for sure. And look, I just wanted to pick up as well, because you were saying about the triggers and stuff uh, around the cult uh, when you're studying. And for those people who haven't studied counseling, psychology, psychiatry, some of the stuff we have to read to write an essay on or write a paper on, if we're studying, say, uh, domestic violence, we might have to read five, ten different case studies, and some of them are quite brutal. So that's why Ashley would be being triggered because it's not like you just read, oh, and domestic violence is blah, blah, blah. You actually hear the story of uh, it might be a fake story, but you still have to read a pretty gruesome story about what's happened to a mm. woman, what's happened to a child. And then you have to write a paper on it discussing why this happened and why that happened and what you think could change. So that's why I just wanted people to know that, you know, because some people think, oh, it must be so easy to study psychology. But we do read a lot of stuff that I guess most people would never even read. Yeah, yeah. And it can be really triggering, especially language. Language itself can be triggering. And I think you talk too about music as well and things that you see on television. There's definitely things that can really just in that moment can just make you go, you just freeze and you lock up because it's been it's been triggering for you and it's it's accessed a certain pathway to the brain yeah. in a different way to, to other language or other words, connotations. Yeah, for sure. Look, I mean, I would say this isn't what happened to you, but I just know since my sister died, if I hear a certain song on the radio, it brings back all that emotion and feeling and loss and grief. So for you, I mean, what you've been through, those sort of things would trigger more trauma. Yeah, absolutely. There's a song, well, it wasn't a song, it was an album, I think, that I listened to on the flight home when I flew. So my escape from the cult was was pretty rapid. So I left a situation or a house that I was in in Paris and stayed in this hotel room, was collapsed on the floor, hyperventilating, didn't feel real, didn't know what to do because I was meant to be going to another retreat or, you know, immersion further in the cult and and had all these plans and I just decided to buy a one-way flight home to Australia and I got on the plane and flew home. And as I was fading in and out of consciousness on the plane, there was this album playing and I remember a few months later I was working and the song came on on the radio while I was working. I drive a lot for work. And I just had to pull over on the side of the road and just started violently crying because the song just took me straight back to that flight to when I was sitting on the plane and I was just completely rocked to my core. I didn't know what was real anymore. I felt like I had reality ripped out from underneath me and it just took me straight back there. Yeah. And also too certain hand movements because when we're in the cult, you're meant to give blessings to the guru and you sort of stand there and have to raise your hand like this and holding it up. And even me doing that gesture now just makes me feel 
sick and it just triggers this kind of nausea in me, just this simple hand gesture. Yeah. For people who are listening, the reason we haven't named the cult is because there's legal stuff going on at the moment. And uh, look, I don't think you even need to know what the cult is because this is about Ashley and her story. So could you take us back to what actually happened when you first joined? Sure. So I joined, as, as many people do, join cults it's often through a trusted source and for me it was through a a trusted family friend and we got talking I was interested in going to India to study yoga and as we got talking I think it worked out it was going to be monsoon season in August when I wanted to go and he said great there's this massive festival come along and it's got, it'll have everything that you have because it was yoga. It was a yoga cult. So, oh, you know, yoga's been commercialized. It's all just hot pants and lycra. The West have ruined it. This is real yoga. This is the real deal. Come and live amongst the yogis. And so off I went. I, I did start taking classes online before that because this, this cult is huge. It has its arms and branches stretched all across Europe. It's in North and South America. It's in Asia. And it has online access to their courses as well. So, I was doing the courses online, then I went to this camp, I guess, pretty confronting in a lot of ways, um, and I somehow ended up staying in this quite sort of secretive women's exclusive ashram. And when I left, I did think initially, oh, that was awful, that was a cult, and I was quite confused by the experience. But then I was not in a very good place with my mental health at the time. I was actually in a very bad place with my mental health. And I've experienced mental health challenges. I've had depression and anxiety since I was about 17 and I was on and off antidepressants for quite some time. And I stopped taking my medication because I wanted to go natural. You know, I wanted to stop taking any medication and my mental health was not in a good place. I went back to the UK and I was starting afresh. It was a clean slate. So I was looking for a new job and a place to live. I got those things in place and I was still really, really depressed, even thinking back to that period of my life. It was the day, it was actually the day before my birthday. And I remember I have a journal too, where it was, I was writing, I don't even want it to be my birthday tomorrow. I can't cope with the thought of getting messages from people tomorrow. I just want to go to sleep. I can't cope. I can't deal. I just, I was distraught and I was in so much emotional pain and then I wrote okay go to the yoga school tomorrow go go to the yoga center and that was I was looking for freedom from from my emotional pain through I guess yoga and through meditation and the next day I went into the center I signed up to their courses and I remember sitting down on the mat and they started playing this music and I started to meditate and I just felt relief yeah and I laughed at myself I was like oh my gosh you're so paranoid how could you ever have even thought this was a cult what a joke oh my gosh you're so silly yeah and it felt like I was coming home and that was that I was sucked straight back in right so you had left and then you went back in well I'd left in the sense that I was going to a camp and then I was flying back to Australia for my brother's wedding and yep. then was going to go back to the UK anyway. Yeah, yeah. But while I, you know, when I was back in Australia, I was kind of like, that was a pretty weird experience. There's a lot of weird stuff going on there. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Yeah. And I was pretty apprehensive. I was a little bit traumatised by some of the things that had happened there. And I'd had a, another conversation with another trusted friend uh, who was also in the cult, being the grounded person that he is and him sharing some of my reservations, but also remaining and talking about his positive experiences. I was like, okay, maybe I'll, maybe I'll give it another go and we'll see. 
And then when I was in that really bad emotional state and I went there in that moment of desperation, again, feeling a need, isn't it? It's filling that need for you. Yeah. I got there and and I thought, yeah, this is where I'm meant to be. And it, it, there was this kind of sense of fate. I felt like this is this is where I'm supposed to be. These are these are my people. These people are so open hearted. They're also on this kind of spiritual journey. They're wanting to live a more connected and fulfilling life. I embraced it and I just threw myself into it because it was also giving me relief from my anxiety because they're using universally positive and and known to be effective techniques. I mean, there's science that backs mindfulness practices. Science also backs meditation and meditative techniques. So it was the school or the cult that was giving me those techniques and therefore I'm projecting this kind of gratitude onto that source and forming this attachment to the source that's giving me this element of freedom from the pain. Feeling the way you were feeling. Yeah, yeah. And the only, you know, when I was feeling really stressed and or really depressed or really anxious, it was the yoga and the meditation that I turned to to try and help me. And so then I get caught up in this thinking of, well, how could it be bad if they're giving me something that's good? Yeah, when you summed it up before, when you said, you know, you're feeling anxious and depressed and then you went and had a session at the school and then you started to feel better. I mean. I would say nine out of 10 people would say to you that if they had mental health issues and then you find anything that can stop that for a while, you're going to gravitate towards it because, you know, there are other people out there who have mental health issues or who drink or take drugs or get in abusive relationships. And you actually chose something that was quite normal. It was something Mm. that helped stop that pain from your depression and anxiety. So you're not going to think that that's bad because, wow, I'm starting to feel better. Exactly. And that's why it's so dangerous, you know, because that's how you form, I guess, disorganized attachments when you're feeling stressed and you start running towards the thing that's actually threatening you. And that's how I found. So eventually fast forwarding, skipping over a lot of things here, but I eventually was, by the technical definition of the word, um, I was trafficked. So trafficking, there is the element of the act and the means and the purpose. And the act was the was the recruitment and transportation and harboring of me yeah. to a certain location. Um, the means was through manipulation, deceit, abuse of power and authority and coercion. And the purpose was, the intent was for sexual exploitation. And ultimately that didn't happen because I escaped, but the intent was still there. So I was trafficked and I was held in a house they were grooming me. They were giving me gifts of things that were supposedly from this guru figure. They were forcing me to watch really vile pornography. So they were trying to desensitize you to it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly what they're trying to do. Uh, and, and making you read all of these things that, that talk about what's wrong with you if you refuse. I was in this mental battle because I was like, this isn't what I want. I don't want this. And yet I'm being told that that's my ego and I need to rise above it. And so I was in this this mental conflict and I felt like I was losing touch with reality. I didn't know what was real anymore and I didn't know who I could trust. I couldn't trust myself, but I also couldn't trust what was happening around me. But I also couldn't trust anyone in the outside world because they've been creating this us and them mentality. And also I had no contact with the outside world. It was a really scary place to be, both physically and mentally. Just you telling me that story, I'm feeling really heavy and really sad for what you had to go through. And the way you just explained it, I think explains it perfectly that 
Well, you were being bombarded by all different things to make you the way they wanted you, to mould you into what they wanted. But inside you, there was still that voice in your head going, this isn't what I want, I need to get out. And, I mean, I I think you were really lucky that you had the strength of that voice in your head because you talked, I've spoken to other people who just said, I just couldn't take it anymore. It just, it took over me. So for you to be able to push yourself through and escape, I mean, amazing. And if you think that everybody on the outside world is against you, you know, you've also got that fear of, well, if I do run away, are people going to believe me? Are people going to accept me? Am I going to be able to get help? You know, so it's a real mind trip, isn't it? And after I even got out, there were moments where I questioned it and I thought, oh my gosh, did I just run away from my chance at spiritual salvation? (laughs) You know, I I, I had moments where I was like, oh my gosh, is this really the demons? They said it was the demons. It's the, is this actually the demons? You know, have they got me? Yeah. Am I destined for a life of suffering and negative karma, like they said? Or did I just escape a cult? And is something really, really awful and horrific going on that I've just witnessed and been a part of and subjected to? Both outcomes are terrifying, but I didn't know which one was real. And I, and I also had to, I was writing to myself in when I was there in my diary, I was having to write to lucid Ashley to make sure don't let brainwashed Ashley do something that you don't want to do. I didn't trust what brainwashed Ashley would do. Again, this split, it was like, it was terrifying. In all honesty, it's, it's amazing that you are as you are now. You know, I mean, we talked earlier about you being on The Bachelor and that's quite a high, I guess, a little bit starry and exciting. And when you hear this story, you sort of think, wow, how far have you come from there to be able to go on a national television show and be the person you are? I mean, that takes great strength, doesn't it, to get through it. And as we said before, I don't think you've recovered. It's going to take you time, but you're getting better Um, And that still could take you your lifetime. But going from what you've just said, which is such a harrowing experience, I'm so grateful that you found something else that you could go into in your psychology and being a speech pathologist because you could have been stuck in that, well, what happened to me? Yeah, and there were moments in the initial days where I was really stuck in that, why me, why did this happen, doesn't make sense, just overwhelm, overwhelming confusion and pain. but with the growth, the post-traumatic growth out on the other side of it, that's where you do encounter this this new level of personal strength and this new appreciation of life and finding new avenues and new passions. For me, I, I think part of going on The Bachelor and also taking up new interests and new hobbies is to overcome limiting beliefs about myself and to show myself that if you want to try something, you can do it. And if something scares you, maybe you should do it. Maybe just go and have a go. Or if you think that maybe you can't do something, maybe you should. It was actually my counsellor. I got when I was, when I first sought counselling, which was when I first started to talk about what had happened to me, it was during our final session because I was actually going to going to go and study counselling because I thought, no, I couldn't become a psychologist. It's too much work. I wouldn't be able to do that. It'd be too hard. And she, she planted the seed and I rolled with it. She said, well, why not? Why couldn't you? Yeah. You're smart. You know, why don't you go the whole go the whole way? If you want to become a psychologist, you can. Why don't why don't you? And I was like, oh, maybe, maybe I will. Why don't I? Yeah. And I was like, why don't I? Yeah. Okay, I'm just gonna do it. And even if I don't end up making it all the way to the ridiculously long road that it's gonna take yeah. for me to become a psychologist, 
at least I've tried. Yeah. And, you know, that, that saying, if not now, when, just do it now and just see. And I've been living in that way and then it's opened me up to these opportunities and experiences that I wouldn't have thought possible, like ending up on The Bachelor or becoming a group exercise leader or painting, you know, and it makes me feel great. It's giving me new possibilities in life, which is another one of those dimensions of post-traumatic growth. And I think how you've just spoken then is really, really good because talking about limiting beliefs and there's lots of us out there, even myself and probably still even you, you know, you think about something you want to do and you think, oh, I won't really be able to do that. And you talk yourself out of it. Now, for someone who's been through what you've been through to be able to change and go, all right, well, I will give it a go. I'll have a crack at that. So anyone listening who's just sitting there going, oh, I don't know if I should do that. Ashley has been through so much more than what you'll probably ever go through and she's making those steps forward. So that takes courage because, you know, you were almost broken down to nothing and you've had to rebuild yourself back up. That's, I would say that would be a hard place to start off from again. It's hard, but it's not impossible. No, it and you're showing us that. Yeah, and, but I was lucky as well. I'm really, really grateful to the foundations that I had in my upbringing. I came from, from a good family, a loving family, and... I I have an education that allows me to have stable and secure job that I enjoy. So there's a lot of things that were in place that have allowed me to get to such a good place in the end. Yeah. And I know that for some people, they haven't been as fortunate. So I'm really lucky that I've had that as well. And that's really helped me get to that place. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's amazing that you've been through all that. Do you want to talk about what your plans are for the future then now? Sure. My plans for the future are... They're broad. They're not too rigid because I think sometimes when we make a plan for ourselves, we might make that plan a little bit smaller than what's actually possible, you know? And so I don't want to limit myself with my own plans or goals because maybe I've got potential to achieve something even greater. But the loose plan is to finish studying, finish the pathway to becoming a psychologist, which is no short path. It'll take several years. Yeah, I'd love to be working as a psychologist particularly in in counselling psychology and and talk therapy. I'd love to be working directly with people and having the opportunity to help in a really direct way. And I'd also really like to be raising awareness of cults and cult dynamics. I'm not sure how that's going to look or how I'm going to achieve that, but I want to be putting my energy into the cult awareness page and to networks that will help me to to raise awareness and, and get the message out there in a bigger way. Would love to continue working in speech pathology and sort of merge because there are areas, there's definitely grey areas that start to kind of merge over between speech pathology and, and psychology yeah. and staying fit and healthy and just just enjoy my life, just enjoy the beautiful life that we have and appreciate where I'm at. And I like to do a lot of things and like, I like to do painting as well. So I'm, I'm all over the place, but I like to have a very varied sort of day-to-day routine. I see my life being quite busy and quite varied and not doing the same thing day in, day out, you know, part-time work here, doing something there. And that's my plan. It's sounding, it's sounding pretty loose, isn't it? It's not, very, it's not very solid, but that's fine. Yeah, but if we tie it all together, and as you said, with your speech pathology and psychology meshed together, that gives you a different view and way to treat people that there's not a lot of people who merge those two different professions. Then also you want to do your page, which is called Cult Awareness, with your psychology background. That works really well on there. I think people who have got a lived experience are just as important as people who have learnt the experience. You'll have learnt experience and 
your own experience, which when you mesh that together, I know a couple of psychologists, one who has been through domestic violence and now she's a psychologist, and the way she works is so different to any other psychologist I've met because she's got the combination of both, and that's where you will excel because coming from what you've been through, learning what you need to know about psychology and doing speech pathology, they all mesh in well together. You know, I never really thought back in the day when I was doing uh, disability, because I've been in disability 30 years, and then I started my counselling training. When I started doing counselling, I thought, oh, yeah, I'll be a counsellor and I'll sit in a chair and I'll talk to people. I tried that a few times. I didn't like it. I, I didn't want to sit and just talk to one person. And so then what I came up with from that was, what about if I teach people with a disability and or mental health issues how to communicate better and advocate for themselves? And so now I have a business with my business partner, and that's what we do, and it's working so well. So meshing things together that are all in the same mm. sort of sphere. And finding a niche. Is amazing. And look how much you're going to be able to help people. Yeah, yeah. It's so true, isn't it? And I watched this TED Talk that I absolutely loved that was on. Have you ever heard of the concept multi-potentialites? It's about this idea of people that it's the jack of all trades kind of thing, master of none, rather than becoming an expert in one field, which some people are wired for that, and they're going to become the expert in one area and know more about that subject than I'll ever know. And then you've got people like me who like to just dabble in a little bit of this and a little bit of that, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And you think, how are all those things going to come together? But they do because some random job comes up where you incorporate all of those different experiences together and you're perfect for the job. You find your niche. Because I think when they say about jack of all trades, master of none, it's like, I don't know, if I was to be doing bricklaying and counselling and then a swim teacher, you know, three completely different things. But all your things are running the same way and that's what's going to give you your niche no one else has your lived experience, your training, and you will bring an extra dynamic to what they need. You, yeah, you are creating yeah. all these different things, but they're all going into one mould. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good way of looking at it too, isn't it? Yeah. You're just going to smash it. I mean, like I said, because I wanted to be a counsellor, I actually didn't like sitting and just talking to one person, talking to a couple, because that was too much in my head at once. But I find this really good because... There's not a lot of people who specialise in disability and teaching communication skills. You'd say to the other places, what about if you try this? Like, oh, no, we tried that, didn't work. Well, you've got to try a little bit longer and then it will work because it works for us. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And you need to adapt to the environment that a person is in sometimes. We can't put the onus entirely on one person no. to adapt. Sometimes we need to adapt the environment as well. Yeah. Ashley, is there anything else you want to add? Because I think we've covered everything and I think it's been an awesome interview or conversation Yeah, because I didn't have questions. It's been a great conversation. I think we've been talking for how long have we been talking for? 45 minutes. Perfect. Yeah, that's fantastic. I'm, I'm quite happy to leave it there. All right. Beautiful. Look, it was really good to meet you. It was great to hear your story. It's great to hear your positivity and where you're going from here. You know, I mean, I still wish you luck for the future because, as you say, triggers come back and, you know, then you have to process that again. And I can't say how I would feel because I haven't lived your experience, but I just, my heart does go out to you that what you've been through and I hope that you continue to improve and, and grow and get to a place where, well, everything seems to be going quite well for you at the moment, which is great news. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. So it wasn't so bad, was it, for your first podcast? No, it was great. I had a great time. All right. Well, thank you so much. Look, let's speak down the track sometime. Perfect. Sounds good. All right. Sounds thank you. Good. Thanks so much, Daniel. Bye-bye. Well, that was another episode of Life Changes You. If you want to contact us, we're available on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we also have a website, lifechangesyou.com.au. 
So until next time, take care of each other and thanks for listening.